0: Hey, good morning, everybody. All right, so there was an article in Forbes magazine, and it was titled this, Why Getting Comfortable with Discomfort is crucial to success. Let me say that again. Why getting comfortable with discomfort is crucial to success. So it was this whole article, uh, and it was also based around this book called Stop Playing It Safe, where they looked at all these different leaders and people that are entrepreneurs or just people who did well and succeeded in the business world, and how a, a huge through line for all of them was the fact that they were willing to step into situations or conversations that were awkward or or difficult, or was something new and hard for them, and that success in life, in business, and otherwise, it it involves this this mode of stepping into that which is uncomfortable. And they even looked at uh, this one person named Lori Garver, who she was an uh, administrative assistant in the aerospace industry, which is this male-dominated industry, who then rose up to become the deputy director of NASA. And so they looked at her life and just were like, wow, what? how did you do this? How did you accomplish this? And for her, part of it was that she said she was driven more by what inspired her than what scared her. That she was willing to go into these, these uh, situations where she was critiqued or she was fearful, but to kind of step into that because she was inspired, you know, because she felt like that was what she was supposed to do with her life. And that, that whole article and that whole book just talking over and over about how that we need to be able to step into those situations, you know, to take the actions and engage in the conversations that it says will move us forward and to make the kind of impact. We want to make in our lives. And I think for us in our Christian lives, that's a huge thing even as we think about stepping into situations that we're fearful about or uncomfortable or awkward and recognizing that we have to become comfortable with discomfort to have success. And the other side of that that I want to look at even right now is um, just another story even as we get into that um, is something I'm able to do that I, I really love that I'm able to do is to be part of these things called church planter assessments. And so I was asked to be on this team where we assess if these potential church planners, if that's a good idea for them to do, right, is to plant a church. Because planting a church is a very, very difficult thing. It's really hard. It's starting a business, but also, you know, it's kind of like starting your own business where everybody is going to volunteer and give you money, you know, and they want to come and be a part of what you're doing, right? And so it's this really hard thing, and a lot of church plants fail. And so there's this whole process, which is pretty cool, about, you know, where they assess... All these different areas and all these different people that are, you know, that come in and assess the preaching or the, their vision and their emotional health, their leadership, their marital health, uh, all of these other different things. But the one thing that everybody on the assessment team looks into, not just their individual area, but this one thing is their calling. Everybody is looking into their calling because with church planning, like a, like a lot of things that are really, really hard, what's going to happen is they're going to get into a season of time where, you know, nobody shows up or nobody, the giving's down and you don't know if you can get paid and these, these situations where it's, it gets really hard. But what we want to know is, do you feel called by God to this? Right? That's what's important. Are you called by God to be doing this, this mission of planning this church? And, you know, have you, have you had experiences where you feel like God has called you? Do you ha- have other people who've affirmed that calling in your life? Or have you, have you had some sort of level of, you know, of, of God blessing what you're doing? And so you're looking at all that and that calling because when everything is hard and when you feel like you want to quit, it's you come back to that point of saying, no, 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 I'm called by God to do this, right? So I can keep going. I can press on because I know I'm called by God to do this. This wasn't just like some bright idea that I had. And if we can kind of help them see that maybe you haven't been called by God to do it, it's a really good thing, right? It's a good thing for them to come to clarity about that now. And so for us today, as we're getting into this uh, to this talk today, this message we have from God's Word, here's the title. Calling before comfort. That for all of us— our calling has to come before our comfort or our ease. Our purpose has to be what is driving us. We are called by God in this life. And I, I heard some, uh, something great even this week where somebody said, we should stop praying for protection and security, but start praying for boldness. Because that's what we need. You're going to have times where you aren't safe and you're not comfortable. So we've got to get comfortable with the discomfort and ask God for boldness that we would be able to fulfill and live out our calling in our lives. So let's look into Ephesians 3 as we are in this Better Together series. Ephesians 3, 1 to 13. We're going to read through this passage and to see how Paul was engaging with this. Okay, here we go. Ephesians 3, 1. For this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, if indeed, let me just clarify there too, Gentiles is basically anyone that's not Jewish, okay? Anyone in the whole world that was not Jewish at the time. So if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you, that by revelation there was made known to me the mystery, as I wrote before in brief, By referring to this, when you read, you can understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which in other generations was not made known to the sons of men, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets in the spirit. So what's that mystery? He says, to be specific that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body. And fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel, of which I, Paul says, was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given to me according to the working of his power. To me, he says, right? Paul, right? Recognize this. To me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches. Of Christ, and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for ages has been hidden in God, who created all things, so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. This was in accordance with the eternal purpose, which he, God, carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. Therefore, I ask you not to lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf, for they are for your glory. All right, this awesome, huge passage, which we could go a million different directions with so many awesome nuggets. And I encourage you to dig into this passage this week even more because it's so good. But he ends it with this sentence that says, therefore. So you always ask, what's the therefore? Therefore, and it's at the end of our passage. So it's good because we can now look back at everything we've seen. But therefore, I think what he's saying is calling before comforts. Don't lose heart at my tribulations, right? They're for your glory. Yes, I've struggled, but it is because I have a calling that to me is greater than my personal comfort. Do you have a calling that is greater than your personal comfort in this life? That you are willing to suffer for, that you are willing to go through tribulation for, because it is for the glory of God and those who you are ministering to. All right, so let's look into what all that goes then back to the very beginning with all, what is the therefore, therefore. And first of all, we are stewards of God's grace. Okay, it starts off there. It's, he says in verse 2, if indeed you have heard of the stewardship of God's grace, which was given to me for you. Now, this word steward, it's not like a it's not a word we use very often, right? Like I'm I'm a steward of this. It's a very sort of Bible kind of word, right? But steward is this Greek word oikonomia, which says, which means stewardship, or what that means is the management of a household, business, or other concern on behalf of someone else. Okay, so the steward's responsible for taking care of that which belongs to. To someone else. And so often we'll refer to stewardship as like, you know, God has given us everything. God's given us money. We're to be like a steward of that money. You know what I mean? And we're to to know that God owns it all. There's kind of like that sort of way that we would normally even think of that word. I don't know how often we think about being a steward of God's grace. Okay? That God has given us grace, and that now belongs to Him. Okay? So let's start there. God owns everything, right? God created all things. It even says in this passage that God made everything. He made the earth, He made the mountains, He made the oceans, He made our bodies, He made, but also He made our minds and our thoughts and ideas, even the whole concept of ideas existing. God made that, and God owns it, right? So God made this whole concept of grace. God made it and God owns it. That we would somehow receive unmerited favor. That we would somehow get mercy that we don't deserve. That we somehow are forgiven when we shouldn't be forgiven, but God forgives us anyway. Grace, right? We are to be a steward of that, he says. That God has given us his grace and then we are stewards of that. So we are to take care of that. It belongs to Him. He's given it to us. And we're to take care of this grace in some way, which sounds weird and kind of like not tangible and hard to understand. What do do you mean? What do I do then with this grace concept, right? But we are to, to manage it by sharing it with others. We are to share that grace. God has not just given us grace that we would hoard the grace for ourselves and sit comfortably and now we own the grace, but to be a good steward of that grace we would then share that grace with others. And he even says, too, that we should steward our gifts, that we should steward our grace in, in other uh, places. Here in 1 Peter 4.10, it says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it, use it, right? If you've received a gift from God, use it in serving one another. And here it says again, not, not Paul this time, but Peter saying it, as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So he's given us these spiritual gifts, right? And we're to use our gifts and the talents that God has given us to be good stewards then also of his grace, to share his grace, that others would experience the grace of God. And so think about that. Are you stewarding God's grace for anyone? You know, are you sharing God's grace with others, Are you thinking about even God's grace like the parable of the talents, right? Where God gives, where you have that sense of God giving one, giving five, giving ten. And then there's the guy that just buries that, that talent in the ground and comes back and he thinks that he's done a good job because he's kept it safe, right? He's prayed for protection. He's prayed for security and he's kept it safe. And God's like, no, that's not what I wanted you to do with it. I've wanted you to double it. I've wanted you to do something. I want you to use it, employ it, share it, right? That's who is blessed. That that is the one who has said, you know, well done, good and faithful servant. And so we have to consider how we then share God's grace with others, not just keep it for ourselves. So we are to be stewards of God's grace. And then we are called to give God's grace to a specific group of people. What we see here in Paul, he says, to be specific, that the Gentiles are fellow heirs and fellow members of the body and fellow partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. All right, so we are called to give God's grace to a specific group of people. And it's, for him, it was the Gentiles. Now, what we have to understand is that for him, this is a huge deal, the Gentiles, right? You know, those who aren't Jewish, okay? I'm not Jewish, so I'm one of these crazy Gentiles, right? That is a heathen, pagan, you know, occupier of their land, adversary, enemy. Like, this is, you know, the, it is not just about not being Jewish for them. I mean, for them, it starts becoming, yeah, a sense of being unclean but it also is this whole time of in Israel, back in Israel at least especially, the Roman Empire is occupying their land. It is the enemy who has come in and conquered them and is occupying their land and then here in Ephesus in Asia Minor they also occupy that land. They rule the world, right? And these people are telling them how to live their lives and what to do in all sorts of ways that go against the ways of Yahweh God. And that That Yahweh God is only for them, is the way they've grown up. They're the chosen people. God is not for everyone. God is for me and the other chosen people. So wait a minute. You know, what do you mean? What's interesting is for us to consider how often maybe we might think God is only for us. What do you mean? For those people? You know? So for us to kind of start letting that go through our head a little bit. That God gave This this calling for Paul to this specific group of people. And he was to give the grace of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. So one, he was to give the message of salvation to them. The message of salvation which until then was not for them, right? Until this point was not for them. He was also to give the grace of being fellow members of the body, it says, right? Fellow heirs, fellow members, that now this gospel message, this grace is for everyone. And guess what? That means now you're not my enemy. Now we're brothers and sisters in Christ, right? With these people that you formerly were an enemy of. And now you're, you're part of the same family. And Paul's trying to encourage everyone, hey, 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 look, no, this is a good thing. Now we're supposed to hang out right? Now we're supposed to be friends, and now we're supposed to share food at the table together. Now you're supposed to come into my home, and I want to welcome you in. And it doesn't matter if, you know, it doesn't matter how you've oppressed me in the past. It doesn't matter how I've judged you in the past. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. We are fellow members of that body. That this whole better together thing, I mean, this better together thing gets challenged when we When we recognize that we need to be better together with people who we are very different from, right? And maybe even with people that we don't really like. (laughs) And maybe we don't even want to try to like. Because that's like where they were at, you know? But it's like now, no, everything's changed. Has everything really changed for us even today? with different people that we might not be fully comfortable with. But there is this message of salvation, but there's also this message of family, right? That we're now part of a family together. So I ask you, who are you maybe not even attempting to share Christ with? When he says to be specific, the Gentiles, who is your to be specific? This could be to be specific people I don't like very much, you know? This could be, to be specific, maybe even people that are a little richer than you or people that are a little poorer than you, you know? I don't know. Sometimes we have a hard time when we start crossing some different socioeconomic lines in our life, and it's hard for us. But God is saying, hey, step into that discomfort and go for it. Maybe it's to be specific, these cheerful people. These people are just happy all the time. It just bugs me, right? You know, like, ah, how are they just happy all the time? And you're like, how can I actually share Christ with them? They have nothing wrong with them, you know? I don't know. Maybe it's them. Maybe it's to be specific Mormons or some other group like that. Maybe God has somehow placed in your life people who are Mormons that he has asked you to share the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ with. Maybe it's to be specific old friends from high school where you're like, why am I now all of a sudden Facebook friends with these people? I didn't even really like them then. I'm not sure if I do now. But God, what are you doing in this? Maybe he's doing something, right? Like, I don't know. Uh, Maybe it's to be specific co-workers that are trying to get ahead of you at work. And you, you know, maybe God has called you to share the gospel with them. Maybe it's to be specific people of a different political party than you. To be specific Muslims, to be specific, Buddhists, Hindus, people of other world religions. Maybe it's to be specific, your family members that drive you nuts and you're gonna see them in four days and you're not sure what you think because their kids are out of control and they scream all the time and they don't seem to parent and you don't know why and you really wanna judge. You know, all of that, whatever that is, okay? <laughs> whatever stuff that you go into on Thanksgiving Day, you know, consider maybe God has called you to share the gospel with your family, to be a steward of God's grace them. Maybe it's people a little bit older than you. Maybe it's people a little bit younger than you. And God has called, called you to cross some of these divides that we just have. Cultural divides. I mean to be specific, vegetarians even. I mean even vegetarians need Jesus. And I'm sorry to those of you that are. But Nehemiah clearly says to eat the fat and drink the sweet and know that the Lord is good. But no, no. I'm sorry. I apologize. I apologize. Get mad at me. Get mad at me. Alright. But To be specific, undocumented immigrants. Maybe you have a certain political view. And God says, you know what? Get over your political view and love your neighbor. To be specific, people of different ethnicities than you. How about this for today even uh, in our week this week? To be specific, Syrian refugees. No matter what you think America should do about it, what has God called you to do with your life. And even this, to be specific, ISIS themselves, right? Like, not the people we think might be ISIS, actually ISIS, okay? To be specific, because guess what? The Roman Empire was like ISIS that won to these people, okay? The Roman Empire was like conquered the world by force and put on a different religion onto the world, the worship of Caesar and the Greek gods. And you have these Jewish people who, I mean, that for them, it happened, right? But God was calling Paul to actually love and share the gospel with his occupier. God, is called, God called Jonah to do it. Right? Jonah. Poor Jonah. But Jonah, man, that is a bitter dude. Because Jonah, Jonah, like the whole deal with the story of Jonah, it's not really about the big fish eating a guy. Okay? The story of Jonah is about a guy who was called by God to preach a message of repentance and forgiveness to his enemy, the people of Assyria that lived in a city called Nineveh. And he did not want to because he didn't like them. seriously, he hated these people and he knew, he says no God, I don't want to go preach to them because you're a merciful God and you're going to forgive them and I don't want you to forgive them and that's why he ran. He didn't run because he just was disobedient in general. He ran away from God because he didn't want these people to experience the forgiveness and mercy of God. And so then God forces him out of the boat that he's running on, into the water, right? And then into this belly of this big fish. And he becomes a Christological archetype. And then he spat out after he's thought about it for a few days. And then God then like shows up and shows him, okay, no, you're going to do it anyway. And then he goes and does preach to the Ninevites, but he's still bitter about it. He didn't want to, even when he goes and does it. And he's like mad. He's sitting under his little vine thing and he's looking out at Nineveh like, "Mm, God forgave them, you know? And he's mad about it. It's crazy at some level, right? But that's the story of Jonah. The story of Jonah is like one of us being called to go preach to ISIS and they actually repent, you know? Uh, It's crazy, There's this other interesting story of this guy named Jacob DeShazer. Jacob DeShazer was a a bomber pilot in World War II. Now, after Pearl Harbor, okay, so Pearl Harbor is bombed. After Pearl Harbor, we responded and sent, you know, a, a bunch of bombers called the Doolittle Raiders to fly over Japan and bomb Japan. And we did, and they did, and then um, some of these planes then got hit and then crashed. And Jacob's plane was hit and then eventually crashed uh, on China. But China was occupied at that time by Japan. And so he's captured and taken into a Japanese prison camp. This guy, Jacob, this American bomber pilot. And he's in this place. He's not a believer. And he is suffering. I mean, it is awful. He's being tortured. He's being, you know, like eating very little. And he he sees his friends even, pretty much all of his friends, get killed while he is in this prison. And after he'd been in this prison camp for two years, somehow somebody gave him a Bible. They started to kind of loosen up some of their rules and somebody got him a Bible. And he's just like, it's cool. It's a book, right? Like, I just want to read something because he's in this prison camp. And so he starts reading the Bible. And he reads the Bible. And he says, like, he was just amazed, especially as he read the gospel accounts of Jesus. And then he says he got into Romans 10, 9. And he reads, he reads this, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. He said he read that passage and he thought, you know what? i read the Gospels. i read, like, 1 Corinthians 15. It said there were all these witnesses. I believe it. I believe that Jesus is Lord. And I believe that God raised him from the dead. And he confesses that to God, and he's saved. And in that moment, he became a Christian through reading the Scriptures in a prison camp in Japan. Then the war's over. It ends. There's kind of a cool story about that, too. But it ends, and in 1945, he gets to go home. And he goes home, and... What happens with his life here is what's incredible. Is that three years later, 1948, not long, three years later, Jacob de Chazer goes back to Japan. This place that for him was probably full of awful memories and fear. And he says he hated, when he was in that prison camp, he hated the Japanese people. He hated them. But three years later, he goes back to Japan as a missionary. And he went and he spent 30 years of his life in Japan preaching the gospel to the people who were his enemy. And guess what? The story gets even cooler here because there was this other guy named Mitsuo Fuchida who was a bomber pilot for Japan who actually was one of the people that bombed Pearl Harbor and got back home. He reads, after the war, he reads a tract that they had made, a little pamphlet about uh, DeShazer's life. And about how he became a Christian in this in this camp, and he reads this story and he's like amazed by it, and he wants to meet Jacob Shazer. So he goes, and he, they do, they meet up, and Jacob shares about Jesus with this guy. And this guy ends up becoming a Christian and Jacob gets to baptize him. That this bomber, this guy that bombed Pearl Harbor ends up becoming a Christian. And they were lifelong friends. Uh, Fuchida ended up like going on with Billy Graham on these crusades and sharing his story. And it was just incredible the way that God took people who were bitter enemies to brothers, right? Right? Bitter enemies to brothers, if you think that the message of God's truth and grace is not for everyone, you are so mistaken. God's message is for everyone. So who in your life maybe is God calling you to share that message with? That message of good news of salvation and of family, of being not, no longer enemies but brothers. Brothers. And I just want to say here, too, like, I want to encourage you, if you are a visitor, or if you're someone who does not believe in Jesus, you're here today. You know, it, when we talk about this sort of stuff in church, you know, we talk about, hey, encouraging people to share their faith with people, to share about Jesus with people, to be stewards of God's grace. Hey, the reason we do this is not like to, like a recruiting pitch or something, you know, like to get more people, because the whole deal is that we actually, we do this because of the beauty of it. Right? It says the the unfathomable riches in Christ. That this whole thing of grace that is this, we've been forgiven of stuff we don't deserve to be forgiven for. And you know what? We want everybody to have that. That's what it's about. It's about everyone being able to have that gift. That gift of grace from God. And so we want you to hear that. That that's what the heart of of a talk like this comes from or a passage of the Bible like this comes from. It is not for us to try to get you to, you know, go grow our club or something. That, that's weird. But what we want is other people to, sh- to share in that same gift. And so we continue with it, right? That the next couple of verses, it, it gets into something for us that I think gets really real. Because a lot of us don't feel like we're good enough for it. And I would say that our calling is infinitely more important than our qualifications, Paul says here, to me, the very least of all saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ. He calls himself the least, the least of all the saints. And then look what God did through him. I mean, Paul has this incredible impact throughout the world and he doesn't feel good enough. He doesn't feel qualified. And I got to tell you, when it comes to evangelism, I I feel the same way. I feel like the least. I feel fear. I feel awkwardness. I feel, as much as I've studied theology and scripture over my whole life, I feel like I'm not gonna know what to say. I have those same sorts of fears and struggles and insecurities and inadequacies. And it's hard. I recognize it. But the message that I want to hear in, in this, and I hope that you would hear as well, is that when you feel like the least, remember that God is the most. When you feel like the worst, remember that God is the greatest. And it's his power through the Holy Spirit that flows through you where you are able then to do this. Because our calling comes before our qualifications, right? So when we feel inadequate, that's when we go back and we remember like, okay, I got to stand on the foundation of that calling, that Christ himself is the foundation of all of this. But our calling by him, the way we've been called by God to do this— then, you know, we stand on that. Okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, I'm in. If you're empowering me to do this, I'm in, right? That's what we have to constantly remember and go back to. And that we will never, when we feel not smart enough, when we feel not perfect enough, when we feel not funny or outgoing enough, or even like we don't feel like our family looks good enough to people, and like, what do you mean? Like, my whole life isn't this perfect display of Jesus all the time. Like, you know, when you feel that, Remember that God has called you. Because he has. He's called all of you. He has not called a few of us to sharing the message of the gospel of Jesus. He has called all of us. Because we are all called to the eternal purposes of God. He talks here in verse 11 about this was in accordance with the eternal purpose which he carried out in Christ Jesus our Lord. There are huge things. Yes, at times we might have a sense of individual, unique, specific calling to something, but we are all called to be stewards of God's grace. All of us. We are all called to that. We are to be stewards of the grace of God in this world and to share it with others. And it's, it's pretty interesting too as you look into this passage, like if you look back at Ephesians 2.7, it says, so that in the ages to come, we're going to do all this stuff so that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And then in Ephesians 3.10, in this passage, it says, so that... This is really kind of a crazy verse, okay? It says, So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly places. Do you kind of hear what that's saying? It's saying that through the church, as we do this, as we steward God's grace— Right? That through the church, this incredible body of believers, this multiracial, Jew Gentile, you know, like boundary-breaking body of Christ, this just the existence even of this church that God has created, that that somehow through us. The rulers, you know, the, the wisdom of God we made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. That's talking about the spiritual realm. That's talking about evil and good. You know, that, that there would be this cosmic impact of the existence of, of the church, of us. It's like kind of mind-blowing. Like I don't even know what to do with that necessarily. But what I, want, but what I do want you to do with that is that when you feel discouraged... When you feel not good enough, I want you to be emboldened by this. I want you to be encouraged that that God has this incredible victory already won. That when we are engaging in spiritual warfare, in evangelism, when we are serving others, when we're doing all of that, we're operating out of a position of victory that Christ has won the victory, Christ has won the battle, and it even has a cosmic impact into the heavenly realms and into the future. And that is how, when we go out and share the grace of God with others, it is from that kind of victory that we go out. We don't go all meek and scared and, I don't know, I just don't want to offend you, you know? Like, don't worry about that, because God has won incredible battles, and he says, look, this is about a beautiful gift that you have to offer people. So steward the grace I've given you well. Steward it well. Do it. You can do this, not because of you, but because of God. And so then we again look at what's the therefore, therefore, right? Therefore, calling before comfort. Calling before comfort. He says, therefore I ask you to not lose heart at my tribulations on your behalf. For they are for your glory. That he is expecting it. He's expecting tribulation. Jesus says we will have tribulation. But he will be with us. That he has overcome the world. That we know we will have that. And so we need to then recognize it and step into it and say it's all right calling before comfort i have been called to steward the grace of god to the people around me to specific groups of people to individuals every single one of us in this room this is not a calling you are exempt from that we are to steward god's grace and we will have struggle there will be awkward moments right There will be hard conversations. There will be tribulation. There will be struggle. And when that comes, Paul says it's worth it. And it is. It's worth it. Because we're better together. Better with more, right? Better with more brothers and sisters in Jesus. And we want to steward God's grace well. As it says in 2 Corinthians 4.17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. Eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. So I hope that you want to be on board with this calling, on board with this vision, on board with what Jesus is asking you to do, really what he's called you to do. And so we're going to talk about it, okay? So we're better together, so we're going to talk with one another about this. And it's hard. But here's the questions, okay? Is there a specific group of people that you've sensed a calling from God to share the gospel with? Or are there specific persons to whom you feel called to share the gospel? And then here's the key, though. I want you to do this part. Discuss any discomfort that you have with sharing with them. There probably is some discomfort, right? So let's just be real and talk about it. So what I want you to do is we're going to all stand up, move around a little bit, Find four or five people, maybe not the exact same people that you talk to every single week. Make make a new friend and spend some time talking about this. Go for it. All right, begin, begin to wrap up the conversations. Maybe 30 more seconds, start to wrap up. You've got lots of time. All right, guys, if we can go ahead and try and have a seat. Again, this is always a taste of a conversation that we hope can take place more over lunch. Invite one another to lunch or to Thanksgiving dinner. <laughs> All right. What? <laughs> I know. This is the part that I'm always. The worst person when I have to make you stop. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay, so here's the thing, everybody. You probably talked about some people that you care about. You probably talked about some people that you want to share Christ with. You probably talked about some people maybe that you don't want to share Christ with, but you feel called to share Christ with. And I don't know, maybe you then talked about some areas of discomfort that you have with that, or some personal insecurities that you have with that my challenge and encouragement to you is that your calling comes before your comfort. And your calling is infinitely more important than your qualifications. That God has given you the power and given you the strength to do this. And so we want to do it. And, you know, I I got to tell you, I do want our church to grow. I do want it. I want our church to grow. And I believe God wants our church to grow But he wants our church to grow, not through, you know, fancy programs, but he wants our church to grow through you, through each one of us, through others coming to know about the grace of God that you are a steward of. And that is how we will see God fill this place with people that need him. And so as we go into a time of worship, as we go into a time of stations and prayer, I encourage that that to be your prayer. God, help me. God, empower me. God, give me boldness, even more than protection. And that we would be a church that is sharing our faith with others and seeing many come to know Him. Amen? You with me? Yeah. So as we go, we have time to remember what Christ has done, the sacrifice that he made that made all of this possible through his death and resurrection. And so we remember his death when we remember his body as we eat of the bread. We remember his shed blood as we drink from the cup. And I encourage you to come and to remember. encourage you to come and to give your offerings to worship God in that way. As you give your money to Him, you're recognizing that you are just a steward, right? That He owns it all and that you are a steward of what He has given you. And so you give back. And then we'll have folks available at the prayer points that if you want to come pray about anything, if you want to come pray to receive the grace of God, we'd love to have you come. If you want to just come to pray about anything in your life or even to pray for boldness, to come and pray with us. So let me pray for us And we will sing as we come and respond at the stations and give God the glory that he deserves. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift of salvation and the gift of being a part of this family. And Lord, I pray that you would give us boldness. That you would give me boldness, God, and give each person in here boldness to be stewards of the grace that you have given. May we be astounded by the The amazing nature of this gift, God. Your unfathomable riches that you've given, Lord. And the beauty of it that we might share it with others. I pray, God, that where we need to be uh, encouraged, we'd be encouraged. Where we need to be emboldened, we'd be emboldened. Where we need to be convicted, we'd be convicted, God. But to know that we are called by you, may we all know that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen.